Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown. Rock em, suck em, Hello and welcome to the post-Minnesota Vikings-Chicago Bears Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad. And Judd, for the third straight week, we did not have an exciting or entertaining version of Vikings football, but the Vikings come away with another win. They solidify home field, the number two seed, so they will play at least one playoff game here at U.S. Bank Stadium. And... Uh, they get next week entirely off. As a whole, what do we take away from three games against opponents that didn't really so much as feel like showing up to play against the Minnesota Vikings, but they won handily? What do we take away from those wins? Well, my first thought is this. The second preseason is over now. You've gone (laughs) through a – you went through your first – you know, exhibition season, and that consisted of four games. This was a second one. Um I don't take away a whole lot from any game individually. Cincinnati absolutely didn't care with, what, three weeks left. I think the Packers wanted to care. They're just garbage. And then in this game, the Bears sort of didn't care. And then they sort of did care a little bit maybe. Uh, But as a whole, I will say this. The positive is it was three games. You won all three. And the most important thing is is that with several guys banged up, you get that week off, and, and you get that ability now uh, to wait until the divisional round. You play here, and then possibly if, uh, if Philly continues to struggle, you continue to play here through the conference championship game. So I don't take away a thing from those games as individual games, but the most important thing is you lost to Carolina, and you came back and had three games that you should have won, and you won all three of them. I walk away saying when you look at the defense, it will finish the season ranked number one overall in points and yards, which they deserve to be there. And they beat the quarterbacks that were really good this year, too. They beat Matt Ryan. They beat Matt Stafford. They beat Jared Goff. They beat Drew Brees. It's not like they had uh, an easy run of quarterbacks just kind of at the end here when they solidified themselves in first place. But they come away with zero starters injured on the defense. Zero, Judd. The players who started the 2017 season uh, here at U.S. Bank Stadium against the New Orleans Saints in week one mm-hmm. will also be the same exact lineup on defense 
save for possibly Shamar Stefan being out and Jaleel Johnson filling in that spot, but that's a backup role. That's a 20 to 30% snaps role. Tom Johnson is healthy. He's the three technique. It's kind of incredible that you could go through an entire season with this level of talent, but just a whole year where you missed Anderson Dejo for a game with an injury. You missed Everson Griffin for a game with an injury. Sure. But other than that, you have had everyone stay healthy, and then you get all the way to the end of the year where you felt like if anything's going to go wrong against these three teams, it's going to be that somebody breaks an ankle. Mm-hmm. And on the Harrison Smith, side, for instance, yeah, Harrison yeah. Smith last yeah. year when he got hurt against Dallas, the rest of the year they were not the same at all. And in this case, you have everyone healthy, ready to go, and you will take a true number one defense against whoever you face in the playoffs. And make no mistake, this defense is fantastic. I mean, this defense, we can say all we want that they're not, you know, Baltimore circa 2000 or the Bears when they they won uh, the title at one point, but this defense is magnificent. I mean, we saw again today, they don't give you pretty much a damn thing. And, And the Vikings, to their credit, the plan worked, right? Because the plan at one point was, Okay, offensively, quarterback-wise, we can't find a Rodgers or a Stafford. So what's the next step? And in 2000, what, after 2013, Spielman said, I got to find a defensive coach that can basically stop those guys. And Zimmer has done a fantastic job. The Vikings deserve as much ridicule and as much criticism as we brought on them last year after they got off to a magnificent start and then fell apart. And there, there were certainly reasons for that. They deserve praise now because they have come back this year and they did things differently. They retooled the offensive line. They got more depth. Defensively, they've been brilliant. The Vikings deserve praise for what they've done because if you, you look in the history of this franchise, I believe, Collard, that they are at 57 years in existence. They have won 13 or more games before once. 1998, they won 15. This is the, this is the first time that they have won 13 games they've won 12 a few times before um but i can't i can't tell you enough how impressive what the vikings have done is and and the fact that it's it's based around what i think is safe to say one of if not the greatest defense this franchise front to back has ever had and that includes all the great defenses in the in the 60s into the 70s all of those defenses were absolutely fantastic but this defense i think stacks up against any defense in franchise history it does stack up pretty well against some of the defenses that have carried teams all the way to the super bowl i did a comparison for our website with the 2015 Broncos, the 2013 Seahawks, and then some of those other teams going back. And what's interesting about the 2000 Ravens is they weren't number one in yards per play allowed, but they had 49 turnovers in a season. To put that in context, I believe the Vikings have 19 turnovers. And today, teams play so much more conservatively, but ranking number one in points and number one in yards is pretty good company. I mean, there's not too many teams that have done that. Sure. And, uh, you know, teams like the Seahawks would probably be the ones you have come to mind in 2013 where they just had everything. They had great defensive line. They had great linebackers. They had great secondary. And everybody stayed healthy. And it's the same story for the Vikings this year. This is absolutely a good enough defense to take the Vikings all the way to the Super Bowl. It's just over the last three weeks – 
you really don't get much of a sense for how well anybody is actually playing because you're playing teams that were just so poor. On the offensive side, the Bears were missing two of their starting offensive linemen. When they're healthy, they've got a decent offensive line. As you've seen Jordan Howard run over the Vikings a couple times, in part that's because of their offensive line. Mm -hmm. But with two guys missing, they had no chance against this defensive line. They had a third and one. It just got stuffed two yards behind the line (laughs) of scrimmage. They had two shots on the same drive at a first and goal, and they failed both times. They got stuffed. They had to throw short. They got pressure. If you have any shortcomings on your offense, this defense is just going to uh, crush you. And we've seen them do that with everybody. We've seen them do that against uh, Jared Goff, where he struggled with the noise here at U.S. Bank Stadium. Or We saw it with uh, Matt Ryan, who's not playing with the same offense that he was last year, that the Vikings pressured him and they did not allow him to work the ball downfield. And it's just amazing what they're able to do, whether it's rookie quarterbacks or journeyman bad veteran quarterbacks or backups or against the superstar quarterbacks, too. And when you have a top 10 offense and a number one defense, NFL research put this out, more than half the time you make the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. But that turns me to the offensive side, Judd. The offensive line today I thought was pretty decent considering what they had up front. Joe Berger playing out of position, Mike Remmers playing out of position, Jeremiah Searles in, Rashad Hill in. As they go into the playoffs, it won't look like that because they'll have Pat Elfline back, but... What I come away with every time I've seen them in two games play without Pat Elfline is, boy, is he good, and he is an extremely, extremely valuable part of this offense, yep. and they better hope that his shoulder is healed by the playoffs. Yeah, it's huge. Um, and uh, Offensively, I was willing to give them a big break in Green Bay because it, it certainly was a cold, and it was a cold night out. The field itself was in bad shape. So I watched that game, and the Packer game was just awful to watch. It just was not a good game. Uh, this game, though, while it's freezing cold outside here in downtown, was played indoors. And so, you know, it's funny. Keenum stats, as, as uh, we talked about during the course of the game, caller, Keenum stats ended up actually being pretty good, and the second half was pretty good. The first half, though, you go down a path now, and this is where I'm very curious, because you've now played Bengals, Packers, Bears off week. Uh, it's been it's going to be a while until you play the first playoff game that you faced a good defense. So what I'm curious about is where where this offense stands. And Viking fans aren't going to want to hear this, but I would definitely not dismiss what we saw in the first half here today because there were some things that are troublesome. And this defense is fantastic and it's really good. But we've seen when this team is, is operating at its peak. The offense is not bad. I mean, the offense, I wouldn't say can carry you, but it certainly supports you. Uh, So there have been enough things I've seen in the past two games where I'm very curious what the corrections are going to be like during this off time. Uh, Because if this offense comes back and plays in a playoff game like it did in the first half today against Chicago, I think that might be troublesome. Well, and if you go back over the past couple of weeks now, in Carolina, the offense wasn't very good. In Cincinnati, the offense wasn't very good, or against Cincinnati here, it was not very good in the first half. Again, Keenum ends up with amazing stats, 20 for 23, 
But in the first half, they did struggle to move the ball a bit. They had some holding penalties and some failures on third and longs in that game in the first half. And then they took care of business in the second half against the Bengals. Then they go to Green Bay where the offense was not good at any point. And today, the first half, it struggled a lot too. And they end up punting eight times today. Now, Ryan Quigley was darn near the team MVP. That guy is unbelievable. He went the whole season without kicking it out of the back of the end zone one time. That is mm-hmm. incredible. Without mm-hmm. a, a touchback punt, to do that is amazing. And he, I think five of his eight today were inside the 20, and many were inside the 10, which helped uh, the Vikings' defense just smash the crap out of the Bears to give them literally no chance to ever come back because driving 90 yards against this defense is basically impossible even for good teams. But the Vikings' offense did not move the ball very well through the air, and when we talked to Adam Thielen after the game, he seemed to be frustrated by it. Like, he was in a good mood because he just had one of the best seasons ever by a Vikings wide receiver. Made lots of money. Yeah, made lots of money. That's right. His six catches got him 250K more for for going over 90 catches and what a remarkable season for him so he wasn't like angry but with every answer it was we're gonna have to make some improvements we're gonna have to make some improvements because there are too long of stretches with the offense where they have not had success over these last few weeks and you can't um if you played the saints if they come here you can't play them and basically go out and say your defense has to stop breeze and nothing else so you can play the Bengals and the Bears and the Packers and have things go wrong and still win. Um, but if you're in a divisional playoff game, and especially against a star QB, the expectation has to be, yes, the defense is going to be very good, but you're going to give up some points. So, yeah, I, I think Thielen is right in the sense that there, were, there have been enough troublesome things that have to be corrected. And I'm not saying that they're going to sink you, but le- but – Let's keep in mind, when the Vikings play their next game, it's going to be their first game against a really good opponent since maybe Carolina, Atlanta, that, that type of team. Uh, and it's probably going to be a team at that point that, that might be better than those clubs. So if you just sit there and say, well, it's good enough that the defense is great, that's a nice thought, it's probably not true. Here's what you may have missed on a recent Scoop podcast with Doogie. The Twins on Thursday morning agreed to terms with Fernando Rodney. He does have to pass a physical. He'll be 41 next year. So they do have a verbal agreement one year with a $4.25 million base. With incentives, it can get up to $6 million. I'm told he really enjoyed his meeting with the Twins. But in particular, I'm told he really enjoyed his conversation with Paul Molitor and with General Manager Thad Levine. Somebody close to Rodney said those two guys stood out the most in that twin suite to Fernando Rodney. Now, it looks like Rodney will open the season as the Twins' ninth inning man, but he is very open-minded to pitching in the sixth seventh, eighth inning. So while Rodney may be the Twins' closer in April, I'm not quite sure I would bet on him being the Twins' closer in August, whether it's Trevor Hildenberger or somebody else developing. Don't be surprised by the end of the season if Rodney is not the Twins' closer. You can find the Scoop podcast on the 1500ESPN.com podcast page or on iTunes or really wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the... um. Defense got the Vikings offense the ball so many times today. So many three and outs of their first, I ran this, I think it was seven or eight drives. It was all punts and a safety. 
So you're just getting the ball back over and over and over again. So even if you're failing, you're getting a ton of opportunities. They held the ball for 36 minutes again today. And and that's what the defense has done for the offense is that the two things, sometimes we think of them as having no connection to each other. You're either good on the offense and defense or you're not. Uh, you're good on this one, you're bad on that one. Right. But they do impact each other pretty significantly. Huge. And I think we've seen that, especially when it comes to wearing down opposing defenses. As we saw they it last did. year. Yeah. The Vikings got worn down. Yeah, yeah. And we saw it today with Latavius Murray. He ran 20 times for 111 yards and just pounded and pounded and pounded into the Bears' defense. And, you know, they control the clock. They wear down the defense. They could score a touchdown at the end. Uh, but in a playoff game where you know that Drew Brees will have some success, he, Drew Brees, if you have to face him, I'm just throwing his name out there, but if it's playoff football, you're probably going to have to score at some point and, and not yes. just expect that if you run into a big stretch of a whole quarter or two quarters where you can't produce at all, that your defense is just going to hold every single time. And if you have one concern about this team's chances in the playoffs, I think that's where it's at and the fact that they are having to shuffle up front. Which leads me to this, Judd. Would you rather just plug Jeremiah Searles in up front or potentially shuffle around a little bit to have Joe Berger either play left guard or even Pat Elfline play left guard and not have Searles in, but instead have Rashad Hill at right tackle and Mike Remmers at right guard? Or would you rather just have like kind of the status quo, we'll just throw Searles in for Nick Easton and leave it that way? I think status quo, um, Elfline shuffling to guard now, which, which I, I know he can do and is capable of playing that spot and has uh, before in college, certainly. Elfline playing guard doesn't seem like a great solution to me because at center he's so damn good. Mm-hmm. And... and Berger talked today post game about the fact that that although he played uh, the uh, that position all year last year, talked about that going to the position now was a little bit out of the norm for him and took some shuffling because because you know for him you, you play you play back more at guard. Um, so if Elfline weren't so good at center, option th- that option would be good to me. But I think if we're talking about the fact that Elfland would have to be moved to guard, I'm going to put Searles at guard and, and not make that change. Um, but, but this all gets back to this, too. Shuffling the offensive line is a big deal. So when Easton got hurt, that was a very big deal because the one thing that this offensive line has had, not all year long, but, but way more than you did in 2016, was continuity. And the continuity of that line's very important. I would be hesitant to mess with that by moving Elfline to guard at this point, especially for a playoff game. Okay, so what about the idea of Berger at left guard instead of right guard? And then having Rashad Hill start at tackle, where he started a lot of the season, and Remmers at right guard. I'd be more comfortable with that. I'd be more comfortable with that. Anything that keeps Elfline um, at, at his his position now, I'd be comfortable with, because I, I know that Searle certainly has uh, has some issues and could struggle there. So, yes, if you were going to say that, in your mind, Searles is almost unplayable, I would be comfortable with with that shuffling. Um, I just want Elfline starting for me where he has all year because he's just been so good at center. I don't think unplayable is quite the right word, but you're looking for something specific with this offense, that today, once again, there wasn't much of a screen game there. 
the screen game has been a huge part of their success. The Cincinnati game is a great example, but the Lions game might be the best example because we felt like with that Lions game, if you win this one, you are set for the rest of the season You to win the division. That was a huge game, kind of a playoff-like game. And they were so good with the short passes in that one that when they needed big chunks of yards, they went to Jarek McKinnon. They went to Stefan Diggs on kind of a bubble screen thing that broke off a big play at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. That was the one where the offensive line really stood out to me for that's what they do best. And even though Remmers is a big, giant man, he can move. And that might give you an opportunity to run some of those sorts of things with Berger and, you know, the elf line's going to be good. Where with Searles, I think that that's a really tough ask for him. He's a guy that played right tackle last year. He's ginormous. Yeah. I mean, he is a very, very big guy. So he's much more in the Alex Boone build. He's not going get, to get out athletically and black guys yeah, like and these guys can. Yep. Easton was just perfect. He was just No, I know. That was a big, that's a yeah, big loss. He was absolutely perfect. And, you know, this is... So this is a point to be made about like pro football focus grades. Pro football focus did not like Nick Easton at all. You know why? Because a lot of times there were great nose tackles or three techniques that would beat him on running plays or would create a, a quarterback pressure against him. But what he did well was often the cause of big plays for this offense. And that's what I think they have missed. And maybe why some of Case Keenum's statistics over the last couple of weeks, why that yards per attempt is extremely low over the last couple of weeks. Today it was 5.8 yards per attempt. I mean, that's not very good at all. And it was in the same area last week because you're not breaking off big plays when you throw short. It's, it's, it's like Sam from 2016. It's Bradford-like, right? So you, you go back to that problem. Um, yeah, I guess if you were going to tell me that you think Searles is not a good fit for the playoff game and, and Berger was going to move to guard and you were going to leave Remmers inside, then I'd be fine there. Um, but that being said, it's just to me one of the most important things that was lost when Nick got hurt was, was the fact that this offensive line had stabilized. And the grades, I, I don't care. You can't tell me if you've watched this line all year long. And I'm not saying that there haven't been times where they have struggled a bit, including today possibly, but there is no way that from the eye test you can tell me this team offensive line-wise is not massively improved because a year ago this thing was a complete mess and they couldn't stay on the field and they couldn't gain yardage. Uh, you know, in, in third and ones, one of the biggest single turnarounds I think is the fact that they brought stability to that line. Yeah, and that starts with the free agents that they brought in and with with Pat Elfline, but even today without him, against a defense that is far from being a joke. I mean, the Bears had a top 10 rushing and passing defense, and Mike Zimmer said that after the game, that this was a good tune-up for us because it was a good defense, and they put up 23 points. They didn't just plow over them like they did with uh, Cincinnati. And the flexibility, the ability to adjust that a lot of the guys have has been very impressive that they have not been entirely healthy the entire year. Mm-hmm. Riley Reef has to miss a game. Remmers had to miss a number of games. Easton missed a couple of games earlier this year and Elfline too, and they've mostly succeeded when they've had guys go out. So it gives you some confidence in a playoff game that they would be able to play without Easton or uh, even Elfline if – they had to. That's the guy that I think you probably can't lose. Yeah, that's, that, that'd be a huge loss. But they no still ran for 150 yards today. Mm-hmm. And if they can do that, then I think they can get enough out of the passing game to score enough points 
to have their defense slow someone else down and win a game that looks much more like Atlanta in that win, that's probably the model or L.A. where it's low scoring the whole way and you do just enough to win. How surprised are, are you that we are now uh, we are now ha- having a discussion with, with the Vikings not only going to the playoffs but having a first-round bye and 13 wins? I put them on nine going in, and and I really thought that this team ha- had holes. Um, my my level of being impressed here is very high because they did a lot to fix lots of things that I, I said, eh, that seems like a nice fix, but – but when you look at offensively the depth that they got, and and I keep going back to this too, Collar, when you look at how they went to school on what went wrong last year and fixed those things, I mean, six months ago we were having in-depth discussions about Spielman, Zimmer, coaching, front office philosophies, and they addressed so many of those things. And to have, win, and to have come out of here with 13 wins to me is a pretty impressive discussion. Oh, it's incredible that they were able to come out with 13 wins considering they had a lot of work to do. And you saw other teams, Seattle, the New York Giants, who went into the offseason with offensive line problems and tried to fix them and did not. Mm-hmm. They did not fix them at all. And those two things ruined their seasons in part. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we record this, I'm not sure whether Seattle's going to make it to the playoffs but if they don't, it'll be thanks, Blair Walsh, for missing a few field goals in some games. Great signing that was. And uh, it will also be because they forced Russell Wilson to do everything as their offensive line was terrible. And I wonder if the Giants had a good offensive line and some health luck that uh, if they would have been a lot more competitive this year than they were. And the Giants were stubborn, too, right? I mean, the Giants basically said, no, we'll fix it internally. It's going to be fine. Which is crazy. The yeah. hubris on that is absolutely nuts. But these guys didn't. And and I, I've always thought previously that this uh, administration with the Vikings certainly might be a little bit uh, headstrong at times. But for the most part, they acknowledged mistakes and they fixed them. And there is a lot of teams, as you just said, in this league that don't necessarily do that, especially across the board. Well, and that's the thing, too, that they said, okay, this Clemmings thing, we're done. We're done right. playing around with T.J. Clemmings. You're just gone. We are done playing around with Alex Boone and having him hurt our locker room and our culture and our, uh, our how we look in the public eye. And salary cap. I mean, he was, well, yeah, to eat that salary cap, he, he was hurting their offensive identity. He was hurting how they look in the public eye with a lot of stupid quotes in the media. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just didn't fit what they wanted to do, and they got rid of him despite – I think a lot of teams might have held on to him uh, when they would have to eat that sort of money. Everything clicked. I mean, drafting Pat Elfline was probably an easy decision, but they still had to trade up for him where he was in the draft. I was shocked that he ended up in the third round because he was so highly thought of, but that's a move you have to be aggressive to make because maybe otherwise you don't end up with him. And, uh, you know, so there's this combination of, Health luck that puts you at thirteen and three with the defense. Sure, because the I think the biggest thing that we were questioning was not whether Harrison Smith is good. I mean, or whether Linval Joseph is good. It was always if they are one injury away from being a not perfect defense. If Terrence Newman had gotten hurt at age thirty nine, which you could have easily seen, and he's just a freak of nature, Alexander's so he did. Progress, but Wayne's is progress. Right, Alexander didn't. I mean, he didn't make much progress, but they didn't have to play him. Basically, he was in occasionally, but play, not a lot. He played. I mean, but, he wasn't awful. I don't think. Right. Yeah. Trey but not, Wayne's has turned in, into a, I think, very solid corner. We thought that 
Alexander was going to be relied upon to be the nickel corner yeah. for like the whole year. And instead, he's playing 15, 20% of the snaps. To your point about Trey Wayans, absolutely has taken huge steps forward this year. And a lot of it is the progress being around Terrence Newman, being around Mike Zimmer and Xavier Rhodes and those guys who have helped him step up and also just getting an opportunity to play on every single down. I think that's easier to be in a rhythm probably for him to get more reps, more experience, see more route combinations. And he is a guy that you never seem to see as the ball is released behind his guy. It's like he's always on top of the coverage because he's such a great athlete. Mm -hmm. And the thing where he's taken a huge step forward that maybe has been the most impressive is as a tackler. He's blowing up run plays. He's in the backfield a lot. If the guy does catch the ball, he takes him down. Yes. And and his resilience, too, in those first two or three weeks, we said over and over, you're going to have to be patient here. There was some bad luck involved with penalties and things like that, so don't make your judgment yet. But he's gone so far since then to not only be decent but actually really good and probably earn himself them picking up the fifth-year option. Uh, he made a play today, first half, I believe, Collar, um, where, where there was a pass thrown his way. The receiver basically had him beat. He was right behind the, the receiver. He got, if I'm not mistaken, his right hand out, and without interfering, knocked the pass down. It was beautiful. I think the problem with Waynes is, is there's, a, there's an assumption that because he's gotten thrown at a lot that he's not that good. Well, that's absolutely not true. Xavier Rhodes is that good. And Rhodes is a shutdown corner, and for the most part, teams aren't going to throw at Rhodes all that that much. So your option is Waynes, but Waynes, to his credit, I think has done a fantastic job, and and it does it speaks volumes to the work. I mean, keep in mind all of the awful defenses we saw here for a long time, or or if they were good, they were good in one area, defensive line. Uh, this secondary is spectacular. I mean, this secondary is not good. It's spectacular. I mean, Rhodes is a shutdown top three corner probably, I would say at least. Uh, Waynes has turned into a very good player. Um, your nickel position, which we've talked about all the time, is very, very solid. You've got a safety who might be one of the best players in the entire league. So when you're talking about this secondary, you're talking about a secondary that is among the best that this franchise has ever had, and it might be the best. So we kept saying in the offseason, somebody on on Twitter kind of brought this up, like, you know, you guys questioned Alexander, you questioned Waynes, you questioned uh, a lot of things, whether Tom Johnson could handle being the three technique. And this is stars aligning. Like for them. I mean, we questioned whether Anthony Barr could bounce back, and he did. We questioned whether Trey Waynes could take another step, and he did. We questioned Johnson and whether he would be able to fill in at a spot that he was mostly a rotational player, and he's been really, really good. It's a situation where all the things that could go wrong didn't when so many times in this franchise they have. But if one of those things doesn't click, you're probably not 13-3. and three. You're probably not going into the playoffs feeling like this defense could single-handedly take you all the way to the playoffs. And it's been mostly the same case with the offense since Keenum took over that even though that's a bad break for you to lose Sam Bradford mm-hmm. and it's a bad break for you to lose Delvin Cook, I mean, in reality, the difference between Sam Bradford and Case Keenum is – big when you talk about just their talent when you watch them in training camp and you see the the arm from sam bradford you see that he's a number one overall pick 
But both of these guys had similar backgrounds in terms of being starters for other teams, not having them buy into those guys as starters. There's, there's no question that Bradford is a better overall quarterback, but some of the differences that Keenum has in terms of how he moves in the pocket and he can run a little bit, it might make up for some percentage of that difference. Uh, so losing Bradford was a big deal. Sure was, But yeah. in hindsight, it turns out to be not as big of a deal because – Keenum was probably closer to Bradford than we ever gave him credit when you're actually talking about the game out there on the field, not just what they have as skill sets. And this is why you go get a backup QB who is good, who's decent. Not great, but decent, right? Keenum, this might be his greatest year, and he might never come close to repeating the success that he's had this year. But that being said... I'll always go back to the fact that that going into training camp 2016, it was Teddy and who? You said Sean Hill. Sean Hill can't play. And this was assuming that Teddy might get hurt and miss three games. And and that's what I keep saying is this team, in my opinion, from a executive standpoint, went to school on all they did wrong last year. And instead of so instead of having Sam go down a week one and being completely panicked, you had a guy who you at least trusted to play. And if you look at this this offense, for the most part, you have now put yourself in a position where you have depth. I mean, Cook goes out. Murray's been fantastic, I think. And th- this was a guy who I think after week three I said, well, he's gone for sure. I mean, he's not playing. He's not going to play. Cook gets hurt. Guess what? You, you replace him. So I really think that what we've seen from Keenum uh, to Murray to, at times, offensive line depth is the fact that a year ago if guys got hurt, you were essentially screwed. If guys get if guys got hurt now, which they did offensively for sure, you could basically say at least we trust the backup. He might not be great, but we trust him. What an incredible difference between Latavius Murray and Matt Asiata. Yeah, I mean, oh, I know. Think about they went into a season with Asiata as their backup plan for Adrian Peterson. I mean, that's just kind of incredible. And Latavius Murray has had a great season, and a lot of his yards have come yards after contact. And a lot of his yards have come when this team is winning and trying to protect the ball, just pounding away at other teams. And we talked about uh, the need for that type of player. So when you lose Delvin Cook, you have these two guys who can really play right behind him. And that was a major issue when uh, Peterson went down. There was nobody that could single-handedly make up for that loss. And, and left tackle was the same way. Right, yeah, a, absolutely. A year ago, yes. And, and Rashad Hill, like, you just... It, he's such a quiet guy. He's never talked about really. I've written a few articles about him. Nobody ever clicks on him because he's just—he's just the <laughs> not guy. Not getting many hits there on the Rashad Hill features, huh? Well, he's just not a right. you know a star player. But he can play gonna... both tackles, and and he's not embarrassing you. I mean, Clemmings was a disaster, and most backups are. Most time, if you have to turn the greatest examples this year have been Dallas and Oakland. They had all-time great offensive lines, especially Dallas last year. Their left tackle, well, I think it was the right tackle in Oakland, a tackle gets hurt, and all of a sudden you go from all-time great to, like, totally average or below average. Yep. Just like that, and Dak Prescott gets sacked eight times against Atlanta because they've got some clown backup. The fact that Rashad Hill could play at left and right as a backup mm-hmm. and you not see a massive difference is really amazing that they plucked this guy off of a practice squad. And it just speaks to that there's a little bit of luck involved in all of this. The health is a major thing. Finding a guy off a practice squad who can start for you and be average or a little below average in a bunch of games 
is pretty amazing luck, I think. I mean, yeah, it's good scouting, but it's also, come on, right? I mean, how often does that ever happen? And the same thing in part with the draft, but it's also been uh, all the right moves, all the things that they learned from. And I'm not terribly surprised that they went 13-3. and I, I really not. And Thirteen you, and three really, really surprises me. Okay, I, but I'm impressed by it. Not, it's not in a bad way. It's more than I thought. It's it's definitely more than I thought because when we went through the schedule at the beginning of the year, I predicted ten and six, and I remember when Phil and I live on the air got the schedule out and went through it. We had them something like twelve and four, assuming that they were completely healthy. And they mostly have been with Sam Bradford a quarterback. With though. Sam Bradford a quarterback, that's the right. thing about now this, with Case Keenum at quarterback. 13 and 3 is surprising. Yes. I would say I probably would not have predicted that. But this team being good, being competitive with this defense and this head coach, uh yeah. And then that's another thing too. In terms of compared to last year where we stand, the head coach of the team being able to handle adversity so much better than he did last year. Could see all season long. And I'm dead serious. I mean, when you look at between injuries, Zimmer's eye problems last year. I mean, this team had a lot go wrong last year there was a lot and and they caused their own problems at times but they also had some bad luck um but yeah and i to zimmer's credit and i've I've been saying this for a month now but to his credit i believe he sincerely followed through when when he said i'm going to go through the entire 2016 season i'm going to tear things apart and i'm going to talk to veteran players who i trust and find out what i did wrong see i think the nfl is so so stuck in this is our way and we do things a certain way what impresses me the most about about the Vikings is I think they sincerely learned. Like, they would have been very easy to be like, well, we had lots of bad luck, but but we went 5-0 and to start 2016, and damn it, we're just going to come out and do the same thing again. And it's almost as if they said, no, 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 we had bad luck, but we caused bad luck as well. So what can we do? And, and for Spielman and for uh, Mike to have basically gone in and looked at things and reconsidered things and, and made some obvious adjustments – that's impressive because I'm telling you, Collar, I think a lot of teams in this league fail to do exactly that. I mean, the Giants are a perfect e- example. The offensive line stunk, but we're going to develop them. No, you're not going to coach them up. They stink. These guys actually went out and signed two fairly high-priced tackles, made changes, and, and, and had a good draft as well, which is some luck, but it was a very good draft. And if you look at the rookie snaps uh, from last year to this year, it's drastically different. This club learned a lot from 2016, and I think if, if we had sat here on, on the first day of this year after, after the Vikings waxed the Bears to go 8-8, eight and eight, we would have said the most important thing is what did you learn, and they did. Okay, a little game of agree or disagree as we Man, I uh, praise the Vikings. wrap up the 2017 season. Well, it's, it's hard. I mean, they deserve it's, it. It's hard to even be you, Judd, when uh, – you're talking about 13 and They three. deserve the praise. Totally, totally deserve it. Uh, agree or disagree, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs are two of the top five receivers to ever play for the Minnesota Vikings. Oh. Already. Um, two of the top five? Both of them have to be in the top five? Clearly the number one and two are set. Yes. Um, you got Chris... I'm going to disagree for now. I'm going to say that I need to see a little bit more. But could I could I slide Thielen into the top five? Probably right now. But it's early still, so well, I'm going to disagree. Stephon Diggs today, fastest to 200 receptions ever in franchise history, and that's including Mr. Moss and Carter. I need him to stay healthy. 
Yeah, I, I, mean, I, he, I need to see a season from him. He missed. He missed what? Two games. But he, I think he's slowed too. I'm. I need the gro- I need the groin to hold up, and I need to see a level of consistency with health that that we are yet to see. And I think if you were to ask Diggs about it, he would say the same thing about himself. Yeah, that's probably true. I think Diggs had a great season, even if his fantasy numbers are not as good, because, yeah, he missed those couple of games and was slowed against Chicago and was probably slowed in London as well. So there's a quarter of the season where he's slowed down. Yes. But especially these last couple of games, and this is a very good secondary. Prince Amakamara is a really good press corner, and he embarrassed him today. Just on a big third down, embarrassed him at the line of scrimmage, makes a contested catch. That's what he's done all season long. He grabs another touchdown. And having him, I think that Thielen's success and Diggs' success are interconnected. There's probably a little more Thielen benefits from Diggs because I get the idea from watching some and then you know talking to people as well that they are so afraid of Stephon Diggs burning them. And when he was not in there, Adam Thielen did sputter a little bit, did not have the great games that he had before. Because right now it goes, it would go Moss clearly one, um, Chris Carter two, Anthony Carter would probably be up there as well, and Rashad. Uh, so I might be able to, if I'm doing this right, I might be able to get one of those two in my top five now, but if they come as a package deal, I say wait and see. And, that, and that's not what I said to downplay Adam Thielen's success at all. It's just they play off of each other so, so well yep. that uh, if one's not open one day, then the other one is. I need Diggs to stay healthy. Okay, all right. Uh, I, I would say that they probably are. Uh, but, you know, your stats are different now than they used to be. Sure. Um, even from when Randy Moss was playing uh, a great Randy Moss or Chris Carter season. Now it, there's usually guys that have them, right, you know, yes. all the time. Uh, back when it was, like, record-breaking. Uh, agree or disagree, Jeff Overbaugh did a great job today. Jeff Overbaugh is a Pro Bowl snapper. <laughs> he will be a trivia question someday. Who was the guy who snapped for for the Vikings in the playoffs in 2000? 17 after McDermott got hot that will be the trivia question someday and Jeff Overbaugh keep that in mind Uh, folks he'll be the answer a it will not be a trivia question anywhere ever who the long snapper was in the playoffs Vikings fans very passionate yes yes they are but uh, is there any concern from you Judd as someone who likes to think of every possible way the Vikings could lose is there any concern that they shanked a 55 yard field goal when Forbath has generally been great from 50 plus and that they are snapping with a guy who has not snapped with them before all right if you want me to go to a place i have not gone so far in this podcast i'll go there collar just to to make you happy um deep down in my heart i have concern about the kicking game in the playoffs and i don't know exactly why i know there's been the pat problems uh but for the most part four bath on field goals has been really really good since he got here and I don't know if it's, uh, if it's uh, Blair Walsh in 2009 and Gary in, in 98 or what, but deep down in my soul, I got a little concern when it comes to the kicking game in the playoffs, and I can't explain it. Um, agree or disagree, because I have no comment, and then I have no idea what, whether Jeff Overboss snapped the ball well I or not. fantastic. I, I would have to ask someone else to tell me who ask would Mike Morris. know the technique. And, yes, Mike Morris would be that guy. Uh, we are all... Uh, in Minnesota, as Minnesota fans, uh, or the, not you and I necessarily, but the Minnesota Viking fan, uh, now turning to root for the Philadelphia Eagles when the time comes, right? Because the rest of the playoff matches, Judd, this is the agree or disagree. The rest of the playoff matchups, 
I don't know that they matter that much. If there's a team where you're like, oh, man, we can't face them, I don't think that team exists. I think the Saints are probably the strongest. Yep. But if you can win the one game, you are badly, badly rooting for the Philadelphia Eagles to be the team that you face in the NFC title game. Disagree completely. I have no interest in going on the road. If I'm the Vikings, if there was a team I feared coming here, then I would agree. But there's not. Um if you have the opportunity to stay here, controlled environment, your fan still, there is no way that I'm going to advocate going into the playoffs in Philadelphia with no roof, with their fans. And I understand that, that with Carson Wentz out, the dynamic there is completely different. And I get the fact that Philly's been struggling, but I am never going to advocate going on the road when I have a chance to stay at home. And I especially am not going to do that given the fact that there's not a team in the conference that scares me. So I will disagree. Even knowing Philadelphia struggles, I would rather play a team here with my fans, my roof, the noise here. There's so, so many positive things that come from playing at home for the Vikings. Fair enough, but if you give me an opportunity to face Nick Foles, I just can't turn it down. I understand what you're saying. I just can't I turn down I that, that chance. I don't want to be on the road on, that, on natural grass there in front of their fans in, in the cold. If I'm the Vikings, I would much rather have the controlled environment here. Well, we are very much putting cart before the horse when we talk about that. Uh, they will play in two weeks. We'll get the schedule soon enough. It's half the fun. And Oh, well, of course. Cart before the horse is our job, baby. But, uh, you know, but I could see the tweet already. Why are you talking about whether you'd want to play Philadelphia when they haven't won anything yet? You know, you get those. Yeah, of course. Um, all right, well. I've enjoyed this regular season with you after these games, Judd, and on to the playoffs. We will have plenty of Purple Podcast episodes for you as we lead up to whomever the Vikings will play in the playoffs. We will catch you then on the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays, and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.